0: Thank you. Welcome to Glamorous Trash. On this podcast, we recap and book club celebrity memoirs, we pontificate about pop culture, and sometimes, if it's a real doozy, we cry. If you have ever referenced Mariah Carey casually in therapy, then this is probably the podcast for you. And this is a Glamorous Trash Talk episode talking about two very famous, best-selling non-fiction memoirs by female authors. We are discussing the memoirs Educated by Tara Westover and The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls and how the truth of one of these memoirs was called into question and why that was, how that was, the intricacies of that and when society doesn't believe women's stories. And to give you a little more context For this whole episode, we will be discussing three books. So as I said, we're going to be discussing Educated by Tara, The Glass Castle by Jeanette, and also I got a hold of the book *Educating*, which is the rebuttal book written by Tara's mom. So those are the three books. We will link them in the show notes. For the first part of the episode, we are going to discuss those two memoirs Educated and The Glass Castle in comparison, in conversation with each other, talking a little bit more about The Glass Castle, but talking about them both. In the second half of the episode, we are specifically going to look at Educated and the specific reviews, and I'm not going to say blowback, but some critical responses to that book. And we're just going to focus on Educated for the back half of the episode as well as her mom's rebuttal. So there's a lot to get into, and let's dive in. So let's welcome out a guest I'm so excited to talk to. I am fulfilling a a parasocial dream of mine in this moment, and... I want to welcome incredible guest Elizabeth Day to the podcast. Hello.
1: Hello. You're fulfilling my parasocial dream, too. I feel like a creepy Instagram follower of you and your husband. in real life but I feel like I know you. (laughs) Uh,
0: He was very excited you were coming on and I refuse to believe you're the fan here. I love your podcast so Elizabeth Day is the host of How to Fail which is a podcast that brought me so much light and inspiration and joy and I just can't get enough of it. Big shout out to our friend, mutual friend Georgia.
1: (sighs) Georgia. Beloved Georgia. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, just love her so much. And she connected us. And I also want to talk about how you have written my dream book. It's called Friendaholic. Will you tell everyone what it is? And for anyone in book publishing listening, apparently you don't have a deal in the US to distribute it yet. And I need this book. I know everyone listening to this podcast needs this book. So please tell us all about it.
1: Well first of all thank you so much for giving me the chance to talk about it and I promise you that I'm not talking about this purely from a selfish perspective because I genuinely wanted to read this book and I felt like it didn't exist Mm -hmm. and I'm really passionate about friendship and that's what it came out of was actually one day my agent sat me down and said what are you passionate about and after I'd gone through, like, the Real Housewives, Cats and Cheese, I, I realised <laughs> that I, my big life passion is friendship. And I'm sure you relate to this, and so many of your listeners will. For me, it's the most consistent, long-lasting love of my life, way beyond any romantic relationship. Yeah. And yet, we, we don't have a unique language of expression that we can reach for to convey what it means to us. And the corollary of that is that often when... I talk about friendship I might have a completely different expectation of what friendship is Mm. from someone I'm embarking on a friendship with and that can lead to all sorts of miscommunication but it can also lead to this sense that you can't fully put into words how meaningful this complex and nuanced bond is and so friendaholic was my attempt to give friendship a language and I really got very into the cultural history of it, the fact that the ancients wrote about it, Cicero, Aristotle. Aristotle and and how little it's changed in so many respects and then I got into the more difficult territory what happens when there's a friendship breakup what happens when you're ghosted by one of your closest friends which happened to me it was deeply shocking and also humiliating. So it was quite cathartic for me to write about. Um, right. And then what happened? I know. I can t- I can go into that whole detail if Yeah, you like. actually,
0: I need to like... So we just did a friendship breakup episode. And, and in it, I talked about how there's no cultural articulation for this type of love. Because usually you could right. reference like TV characters and film characters. And we just don't have that many. And Elizabeth, on the podcast, I was talking about how I ghosted a friend. So I feel like we are the yin and yang in this moment of solving
1: female friendship breakups. (laughs) Was it you? Was it actually? (laughs) I developed this whole parasocial friendship.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was actually me. No, I I didn't ghost someone. I just, I explained all of the problems and issues I was having and it, just never got better. And it always got worse. And eventually I just decided I can't keep trying and I'm going to back away from this friendship. So I think I backed away from something that someone else wasn't backing away from, but I think that goes back to your book. Like we need books and help and articles and films and jokes to navigate all these intricacies better.
1: Exactly, the fact that you felt that you had to ghost someone. And by the way, I think I probably have ghosted people too in that Mm. my communications have become less and less frequent. And in my better days, I like to think of it as a non-verbal boundary. (laughs) But ultimately (laughs) it comes about because I'm super conflict avoidant, but also because as you say, we don't have this language. Just as we don't have a language to express what friendship means to us, so we also don't have the language Of breakup. Whereas with a romantic relationship, you know, it's unpleasant to go through, it's deeply heartbreaking, but at least we can reach for those stock phrases that it's not you, it's me. Like we sort of know what to expect. And societally, there is an expectation that romantic relationships will end, that there will be a degree of Mm -hmm. trial and error before you find someone who you might want to settle down with long term. Whereas with friendships, there's this very unrealistic notion that the person you sit next to on your first day of school, purely because you share the same first letter of your last name, if you become friends, you have to be friends with that person for the rest of your lives. Otherwise, it's seen as somehow a failure, which really speaks to my podcast, because I now happen to believe that a relationship or a friendship is not a failure simply because it ends that actually every single relationship and friendship that we forge can teach us something really meaningful and sometimes the best way to honor the love that we have for our friends is to end a friendship because we mm. are in very different phases of our lives
0: oh that i feel like you're taking me to church here <laughs> that that's so well said and and expressed and i will fly I will fly to England to get a book if I must. Um, (laughs) but I need to send you a copy. Okay. Thank God. Whew. Um, I, yeah. Also, you know, if we were going through a breakup, you could go online to friends, to articles, to anything. Right. And you'd have a thousand options of what to do, you know, like uh, toxic ways to get over it, healthy ways to get over it. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. And there's, yeah, there's just this silence here. And I love what you said about uh, friendships ending. Like there's no expectation. So it's seen as a failure. It really feels like since there's nothing, there's no finances to mend there's there's no sexual relations to deal with. So when a friendship ends, it feels like someone is just saying like, you purely mm. as you, no thanks. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, wow. I uh, could talk to you about this forever. As soon as the book is out, we'll beg you to come back. And now I'm going to pivot us into our topic, which we also have so much to discuss. When I reached out to you for this episode, you told me that Educated was one of your favorite memoirs. Is that right?
1: It is. You couldn't have picked a better book.
0: It's so funny because I was really holding out. I was like, this has to be the perfect guest because it's going to be such a nuanced discussion. And I just had this feeling it was you. And and when you said it was like, oh, it's my favorite book. I was like, yes, I did this right. But my question for you is you then went and read The Glass Castle, which these two books have come up um, they're so dissimilar, but they carry a similar arc, which is extreme poverty and abuse, um, at the hands mostly of a father figure, also in a, an enabling mother and coming through that to go on to like Ivy league, Oxford education and write these incredible books. That's kind of the theme they have in common. So my question for you is what did you think of the glass castle having loved
1: educated? It was so fascinating. And I'm so grateful to you that I got a chance to read The Glass Castle, which, shockingly, I hadn't really heard of. And I think that's because it's not as big a deal in the UK as it seems to be in the US. Yeah. And I was so excited about getting my hands on it. And when I read it, I think it's beautifully written. And richly characterised, and I know that we're talking about non-fiction, so to say characterised um slightly undermining, but she does such a great job of portraying who her family members were and are in all of their richness and complexity and the fact that they sometimes do bad things doesn't make them bad people. She does such a terrific job with all of that. But it didn't speak to my heart in the same way as Educated. And I'm super interested to hear what you think because Educated for me is... It's just such an extraordinary memoir, not just on a prose level, because I do think it's extraordinarily written, but I think there's such a narrative thrust with Educated where I felt gripped by this real life story. And the issue with life is that it doesn't fit into a neat narrative plan a lot of the time. And I think The Glass Castle reflects that accurately. It's quite ramshackle, but there isn't. It's sort of a lot of the same things happening again and again and again. And then finally this ending, which I I, the ending I found really satisfying, but it's almost like I I wasn't sure where the book was going. And in many ways, that's a reflection of her childhood. She wasn't sure where she was going half the time. So as a read, I found Educator far more satisfying than The Glass Castle.
0: Uh, That was gorgeously put. And I similarly educated spoke to me so deeply the first time i read it was a few christmases ago and when i was posting about it everyone said well then you you must read the glass castle and so then i went and read it and and while i am really glad i read it and fully enjoyed it i think they're i think they're both terrific books educated has a lot of heart it's like in the art of memoir which i'm curious to talk to you about because of like memoir and nonfiction, but the heart that Tara has and brings to the book isn't there with me with the glass castle, but that's not even a narrative choice. That's just who you are as a person that you bring to your story. And I think I think what, is, what ended up being really interesting to me in this conversation is that one of the ways they're different is that when I was posting about both of these books, people would write to me and say, yeah, but is educated true? is it really true? Like, didn't she exaggerate some of that? And it made me so viciously upset. Like it Mm. it made me so mad to hear this that I quickly realized this was talking to both my own (laughs) trauma and baggage. It wasn't just about the book. Like I, I was like, oh, this is hitting something so deep in me, which I will unpack. But what I, the overall feeling is like, you could walk through so much abuse. You could survive so much. You could live to tell it in a way that anyone else who has touched anything similar could relate. And you could put it in a whole book and people could still question you, question your story.
1: I think that is, yeah. yeah, such a profound and fascinating point. And for me, the major difference is that Jeanette Walls is not estranged and was not estranged from her family. And so yeah. it's almost, in the writing of it, she's protecting them, which is a beautiful thing to do and I completely understand it. So she's she's also having to explain as she's writing The Glass Castle and there was all this, not necessarily bad behaviour, but enabling behaviour, um, a behaviour triggered by addiction issues from her parents And yet she also has to explain why she still loves them and why she's still in contact with them and why this is something that she still is very present in her life. Whereas Tara Westover is estranged from her family. And I think the thing that I love about Westover's voice is her courage. She Mm. is unapologetic about it. She has thought long and hard. She's an extremely intelligent woman. And she has thought long and hard about estrangement and the cost that she will have to pay to ensure that that is the price for her protection in a way. And I think that's what people, some people pick up on and don't like. It's a woman being strong enough not only to have her own agency, not only to define her life and her future, but actually to remove herself from her family of origin. And I think that scares a lot of people.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. And had you heard that narrative of like, is it true? Didn't she exaggerate some of it? Had that come to you? Because I wasn't sure if this was like, an LA thing where I was just in touch with a lot of haters. (laughs) Like, I I was like, is this, how prevalent is this
1: narrative? Because it came up a lot to me. Had it crossed your path? Uh, No, the only way it crossed my path was, so I picked up Educated without Knowing anything about it in a bookstore in the Hamptons, and I was—it's the only time. <laughs> wow, Hamptons! <laughs> I know, it's the only time I have ever been to the Hamptons. It's a lovely place, but I was sent there by a UK magazine to interview Dakota Johnson. <laughs> and <laughs> as, as a celebrity, like as I used to be a celebrity profile writer for for print publications. And it can be quite a dislocating experience because it looks very glamorous on paper. You're like, oh, I'm yeah. dressing up to the Hamptons. But it's also quite weird because you're on your own and you're staying in the the, the one room that was available in one person's house because it was the height of the season. And there's a lot of waiting around while you wait to go to Dakota's Beach House. She was delightful, by the way. Um, and I did a lot of reading and I didn't have a Kindle. and I'd read the book that I brought with me. And so I wandered into this bookshop and I picked up Educated and I was gripped. I just thought it was so incredible and it really, helped me through those weird few days. And after turning the final page, I went down an internet rabbit hole of Mm. who is Tara Wester? Who are her family? Was her mother really a herbalist? Did this happen to her brother? And yes, it felt that there was a conflicting narrative. But for me, I felt that that quite clearly came from the community she grew up in and her extended family members. And I thought, well, that it makes sense given what she's saying in this book. And I totally believe her. And I also believe that there are many versions of the truth within one family organism. But one of the things that she says, and one of the reasons for her estrangement is that her brother was abusing her. And therefore she had to step out of that toxic dynamic for her own safety. And I can believe that and respect it. And I can also understand why other people still in that family unit or still in that community would not want that to be true and and possibly haven't been presented with that version of events themselves. And so they have their own truth. But in terms of it being a big thing, that it didn't really reach me beyond having gone in search of more information.
0: Yes, yeah. Okay, okay, fantastic. I Because yeah. a part of me, really, I, I basically became obsessed like you, like I went into yes. the internet rabbit hole and I became obsessed with like, why would one book be questioned? Why would the other not be when they live in these same arenas? And what you're saying about multiple truths being available within one family unit, where as an outsider, we could agree possibly on one truth that doesn't discount the varying truths within it because Mm. of memories, because of emotional dynamics, because of what you have to believe in order to stay in something that's bad. I, I feel like that is the key here and possibly also what made me so upset because when I went and we're going to go through everything I found in this episode, I kind of felt shocked that anyone could read this and come away saying that she lied or made it up. I was like, that is, that's not even what's presented here. What's presented here is, is different family accounts. And Before we go into my internet spiral, to come back to The Glass Castle to just talk about why it possibly didn't happen to her book is I want to call out what you said is that her parents are not estranged. Her mom is living with her even later in life. It was also published in 2005 and Educated was 2018. And I wonder uh, with internet culture, if that sort of knee-jerk you know, sort of wave of people who will always be like, no, it didn't happen. I wonder if that would have happened to this book if it had been published um, post post Reddit. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And also, I guess the other thing that was happening 2017, the Me Too movement, 2018, mm-hmm. were we at the beginning of a bit of a backlash from... A dark, dark corners of the internet saying, well, why do we have to believe all women? Like, maybe it got caught up in that as well. I think that's a really mm, valid that's point. That's a good point. That Yeah, the internet just rips stuff apart. <laughs> and, <laughs> and maybe Jeanette Walls didn't have to deal with that as much. And I think the other thing, as you were talking, it, it struck me that Tara Westover, she doesn't portray herself as a victim. And neither does Jeanette. But mm. what Tara doesn't do is she doesn't conform to how some dark corners of the internet want our abused women to look. She's not apologetic, she's not overly emotional. She's very together and extremely intellectual. There's this very famous case in the UK. There was a couple, they were hitchhiking through the Australian outback and the boyfriend got horribly murdered. And his surviving girlfriend did a press conference in the immediate wake of this terrible trauma, and she didn't cry. And immediately the British tabloid press was all over her for not crying, and therefore assumed that she was she was probably guilty of this horrific killing. Because as a woman, she wasn't acting in the way that quote unquote mm. we as the culture wanted to see our women react. Yeah. And so I don't think Tara refuses to do that. And I know that because I actually interviewed her for How to Fail. So after reading Educated and going down the internet rabbit hole, I started sort of tweeting vociferously about how much I love this book. And then her UK publisher got in touch to be like, cease and desist. No, they were like, yeah, thank you so much for your support. And um, oh, she's coming over to do this publicity tour. So if you want to have an interview. Amazing. And I ended up meeting her. And as you will know from listening to my podcast. I generally ask my guests to come up with three things they think of as failures that they don't mind discussing. And they tell me those three failures in advance of recording. So about a week before they'll tell me every email. And Tara is the only guest who didn't want to tell me beforehand, who said, actually, I'd rather have an organic conversation. And I do have three failures, but I'd like to reveal them on the day. And that that gives you a measure of what kind of person she is. She's not going to let anything define her. And she was wonderful. And I really liked her, but I respected her so much. I just respected her intellect so much. And I think maybe that's the other thing, is that she doesn't behave how supporters of Andrew Tate would like her to behave.
0: (laughs) That's so fascinating. So for you, her not giving the questions up front was a mark of like fearlessness or authenticity or was it like I don't want you to be well researched on these items like how did you interpret it
1: as in I Elizabeth wouldn't be able to be as researched. yeah
0: like your your reaction to it was so positive yeah I think what I heard was oh but then you can't prepare you know is that I know (laughs) yeah and so yeah I'm curious what was positive about it to you because I think I would be like, but I want to do my research. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, I think it was all of the above. I definitely was intimidated mm. by that idea. But I think it was fearlessness on her part. And it was also a bit of, I'm not going to play by the rules because mm-hmm. where have pl- where's playing by the rules got me, which I kind of understood as a personality trait. And I think she enjoys the organic nature of an authentic conversation. So where I, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't come with a pre-prepared list of questions anyway. I'm not that kind of interviewer, but maybe that was part of her fear. And so much of Educated, as you know, is about the cut and thrust of ideas, but of a sort of conversation, being able to teach you something, of attacking the bigotry, not the person who has been taught to hold the bigotry. And I think maybe she wanted that. She just wanted an exchange of ideas. But yeah, I definitely think she was also slightly fucking with me and (laughs) seeing how I responded.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. And we are going to link that episode in our show notes for everyone right now who's probably dying to listen to it. And it's so interesting you say that about Tara. And I think that's a good segue to what I want to talk about in The Glass Castle and why The Glass Castle wasn't questioned as much as educated and in the book educated you know you do conclude that the behavior of the people around her was pretty horrific but i also feel like you understand the belief systems and circumstances that led her parents to be the way they are and i i don't feel like that was um spelled out in the glass castle and i'm going to read these two paragraphs that really hit me in an odd way. And as soon as I read these two paragraphs in The Glass Castle, I thought this is why this memoir is not connecting with me. So I'm going to read it. And to, to set the stage for these two paragraphs, Jeanette Walls is at Barnard College and her professor is discussing homelessness and whether it is a result of what the conservatives would say it's a result of, like everyone's you know addicted to drugs and they misuse the government entitlement programs, and it's all personal choice? Or does homelessness occur as from the liberal point of view, because of cuts in social service programs and a failure to create economic opportunity for the poor? And so her professor calls on her, and I'm going to read it from here. Her professor calls on her. I hesitated, quote, "Sometimes I think it's neither. Can you explain yourself quote "I think." That maybe people, that maybe sometimes people get the lives they want. Her teacher asks, Are you saying homeless people want to live on the street? Are you saying they don't want warm beds and roofs over their heads? Quote, Not exactly, I said, fumbling for words. They do. But if some of them were willing to work hard and make compromises, they might not have ideal lives, but they could make ends meet. My professor walked around from behind her lectern. What do you know about the lives of underprivileged, she asked. She was practically trembling with agitation. What do you know about the hardships and obstacles that the underclass faces? The other students were staring at me. Quote, you have a point, I said. And so you know, she's sort of ending this as like the teacher thinks she's some privileged student when in fact she knows quite vividly what it's like to be a part of the underclass. Okay. So she's writing that very snarkily. Like, yeah, what do I know about how, you know, the underclass lives because of her family. But I found that takeaway and outcome and, and point of view on her own situation to again be quite superficial like you said. She took her personal story which which definitely matters, but then she cast a wide net on the entire <laughs> on the entire topic of homelessness of like because my parents were like this. And I think on top of that, she truly believes that her parents just didn't want to work hard at all or else they could have been okay. And she knows her parents, I do not, perhaps that's true, but it doesn't feel like addiction issues were discussed, which her father definitely had. Mental health issues, intergenerational trauma, what came before them? What led them to have these brains that, that chose to be squatters? What leads anyone to choose to be a squatter, which which is an amount of people who, who prefer, to be homeless. And we've heard stories like this of of trying to take someone, a family member who is living on the street and bring them off the street and they don't want to go. But I think to conclude that that's laziness is actually quite lazy. And I think there's a different conclusion to be had there, but I don't feel like she interrogated it within her own family. And then in the book to us, sort of you know paints her whole family as lazy. And I just found it to be a superficial take like you were talking about. I think she really discussed the details of what happened beautifully, but I don't think she was able to dig into some bigger takeaways, some more insightful
1: takeaways beyond just the events of what happened. That is so true and everything I believe without knowing that I believed it (laughs) just put into words exactly the thing I was grasping for that it's it's quite superficially told yes and yes and, and actually so much of it is is so dark and goes so deep and is as and is the story of intergenerational trauma and you're so right that she doesn't delve into that but So often I felt that I was viewing the young Jeanette as a sort of plucky cartoon book figurine almost, Mm -hmm. who, you know, would be sexually abused by a relative and would be like slapping her uncle's hand away and just pluckily getting on with her day, which, okay, on one level, poor young Jeanette, good for her. And surely it must have had more of an impact. And so I suppose... That was my slight frustration with it. And I'm very aware when I'm talking about it that this is a real story and it is a also beautifully written tale by someone who lived it. And so I'm not here to say, oh, I, I wish your life had been rendered slightly differently. That would be kind of monstrous, monstrous thing for me to say. It's just, yeah, that's, I think, why it didn't connect because of the way she chose to tell the story was this kind of, Plucky underdog made good. Whereas it felt with Tara, I I really did get a sense of just how horrifically trapped she felt to the extent that she didn't realize she was trapped until she started educating herself about the nature of the noose that she found herself in. And I felt that I went on that journey with her and therefore it felt that I could understand it more. And she does go to the effort of explaining why her parents are the way that she perceives them to be.
0: Yes, and I, I also wonder if that is why the glass castle was also questioned less because um, a narrative we're more familiar with is a little bit more of a surface one where poor people kind of brought this on themselves and are just kind of crazy. And if that's a bit easier to accept, then this really nuanced, layered, multiple facets of uh, personalities and point of views and, and, and nuances of how a parent could be so good and also so bad. And so if that's harder to accept, and so we must reject it and be like, well, it's not true.
1: Yes, exactly. And also Jeanette's family unit, as you say, you can sort of dismiss it or engage with it as a bunch of eccentrics. And you can engage with it or dismiss it as much as you like. But you can take comfort from the fact that they're lovable oddballs <laughs> they're not us the monster isn't us yes. with educated it feels that tara is going much deeper than that into the fabric of modern society itself and the mormonism she describes is very extreme but mormonism still exists it's still people are still being raised in cults or with cult-like thinking and so the fact that that's still happening in our current day society is far scarier Well, and with
0: regards to the Mormonism, I lived in Utah uh, for six to seven years when I was a child, which uh, used to be the Mormon capital of the world. So it was like 90% Mormons at the time. And when I covered another book and spoke on my experiences of Mormonism, which were very uh, extremist, (laughs) I, I sort of made this mistake on the podcast where I spoke from experience and then had to remember that that is within Mormonism, that was just a small extremist sect. And like, I think it's hard for people to understand that like that still exists because it's so wild. There are other Mormons and people who practice in the LDS church who are practicing a modernized religion, a non-extremist faith. And obviously that's a huge part of the religion. And I was speaking very narrowly about my own personal experience, was which was with an extremist sect. And I do think people are still very surprised that there are still cultish factions of Mormonism, like Tara's family, which, and really there's still cultish factions of every religion. You know, there's still cults uh, within every religion, but definitely the one that Tar grew up in. And that's the specific Mormonism we're talking about right now, not a broader Mormonism.
1: Yeah, I mean, I read Educated and then several years later, The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City aired <laughs> and has taught me genuinely so much about the pantheon of Mormonism and how many different elements yes. of it exist. Like if Lisa Barlow and exists. I was about to say, <laughs> how Lisa Barlow can have, <laughs> she can have Vida tequila... And she's a Mormon, and that's fine. Had her, her son's going on a mission. He's being called Elder Barlow. Um, and that coexists with Tara Westover's experience.
0: Sorry, I just... Uh, Salt Lake is obviously my favorite of all the franchises, and... That little child being called Elder Barlow with his little blonde frosted tips. uh, It's just, it's a sight to behold. We could do a whole nother episode on that. And so, okay, last, my last point before we just really, I want to take us through some specific things on the internet about Tara's book is that, I don't know if um, you, you caught this. It's really just in the bio, uh, but Jeanette Walls. Uh, when she pulls herself out of this like horrific situation, goes on to make this incredible life for herself. She works as a gossip columnist. I know. (laughs) And that also really changed things for me because it was never touched upon. And it's such a, just a bludgeoning of a theme where I go and get other people's secrets and, you know, export them for profit, but while hiding my own, which I found to be so interesting because her family were these intense manipulators. The way she gets out of poverty is to also become a manipulator and a gossip columnist, but then she kept that out of the book. She kept her, she kept maybe the darker parts of how she survived and and climbed out of it out of the book and just made it seem like it was going to college. I don't know, I I just thought it was such a wild choice.
1: Yeah, me too. She is clearly a brilliant storyteller. In the same way as her father, Rex, she portrays him as such a vivid yeah. and enticing storyteller who tell The biggest story Rex Walls tells is the story of his own family's greatness, of the fact that he is going to build this mythical glass castle that yeah. obviously never materialises. And clearly she's inherited that same ability to weave a brilliant story, and that's great. And at the same time, how much of a story is being woven for us yes yeah but it was
0: never that never made it into our narrative which i found to be so interesting uh yeah really well said with the storytelling from from rex um i I momentarily forgot that his name was rex and i loved remembering (laughs) okay we're gonna take a quick break right now and we'll be right back I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own and it comes out on June 4th and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing traumatic memoir but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also... I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, let's dive back into the episode. So when it comes to educated, um, Three big things, I think, forms this narrative. The first being that her mom wrote an entire ass book called Educateen. And it is, it's a purely a rebuttal book published in 2020. You're going to hear this and you're like, oh, should I read that book? No, 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 no. Is it self-published? It is self-published. Great guess, Elizabeth. Fantastic. (laughs) So it is self-published. You just knew it. And it is, it came straight from Butterfly Expressions, which is the herbalist company. So it, I had the butterfly address on the package and I got chills when I, I was like, oh, it's Butterfly, um, it's Butterfly Expressions. And the, the reasons you should not give this book uh, your money is that she says it's self-published because if they had gone the a traditional publishing route, they wouldn't have been able to tell the truth. And I said, that's completely false. This is the lie, actually.
1: (laughs) That sounds quite Donald Trumpian. Exactly, where it's like, you know,
0: when we don't have fact checkers, we'll be able to tell the real truth. (laughs) (laughs) And so that is why she said they self-published it. And then she said, "This um, this is not a response to my daughter's memoir. I've already been working on a memoir, but she titled it Educating. And then can I see the cover again, please? Yeah, it actually I think is kind of a phenomenal cover for being oh, self-published. Yes, yeah, it is. Uh, not even for being self-published, for being a book so terrible, it has a really yeah. great cover. <laughs> and it's you know Tara stuff is really at the end, and it's just sort of like we didn't even know she was unhappy. I, I suddenly mm. she was talking about abuse and wouldn't speak to us, and then she was gone. Isn't that weird? And the rest of it is about being such a great teacher and herbalist and, and how to heal and that their family wasn't hurt and didn't get in as many accidents as Tara said. Um, and it's all just written so terribly. It's, it's hard to take seriously as a, as a book. But yes, having your mom speak out and write a book saying, no, it didn't happen. I find it to be really interesting how many people use that as an idea that Tara was lying versus thinking of all the parents in the world Hmm. who unfortunately participate in traumatic upbringings. And often their response is that didn't happen because that's a trauma response.
1: Yes, It, it had to have not
0: happened or else what? you're a bad parent. You messed up. Something happened at your hand. Wouldn't it be better to work around the idea that that happened or to even more predominantly, like just accept what was okay back then as actually okay and not accept that maybe it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on like parents sort of, have you ever had that experience? And I know you've talked to people who have had of like, you express something horrific, and, and a, a parent or authority figure around you when you were younger says it didn't happen like that, or oh, it wasn't that bad.
1: Uh, yes, it happens all the time, <laughs> and I and I. It's why I'm completely fascinated by people's childhoods. Whenever I interview anyone, that's one of the questions that I will ask because it forms so much of who we are. And I think I realize because I have written a couple of. Well, they've been, they've been published as memoirs. I'm not entirely, they're not memoirs in the conventional sense. They're sort of thematic and um, manifestos. That makes them sound so deadly dull. <laughs> but basically I wrote a book called "Tires Fail off the back of the podcast, which is everything I've learned from my own failures, but bringing in lots of other voices as well. And, and then I'm I wrote a I'm sorry, just pause. They pause,
0: they, they put that in the memoir section?
1: Yes, it's really interesting. It's either memoir or self-help. If you're, if you're a female <laughs> author who is using some of your experience as a lens through which to examine big ideas... In the UK, and I think America is better at this because you have such a phenomenal tradition of female essayists, the Rebeccas, Rebecca Traister, Rebecca Solnit. I love them. And I'm obsessed with them. We don't really have the same essay culture here. So we tend to be pigeonholed as memoiry, y self-helpy, weepy, weepy, navel-gazing, <laughs> unable yeah. to think beyond the box of our own experience, which is a way of diminishing so many things.
0: Yeah, um, Diminishing both uh, women authors of like, you, you can only be relegated to these categories. It also, they diminish those categories because they're filled with women's authors. Like, you know, essays would be a serious topic. So we're going to put you in a memoir because you're not serious. And also it's so funny because the dry books about great ideas are often so dry, and they only come alive with personal stories, right? Or yes. that Malcolm Gladwell, you know, type storytelling. But he wouldn't be put in memoir.
1: No, exactly. Yeah. I mean that's that's a whole separate bugbear. And actually um, one of the things I, <laughs> I know. Um, one of the things I really respect about educated is that it completely transcended that. But I think yeah. I've realized through writing nonfiction that I have a right to tell my story and that took me a really long time to believe. There was a lot of deconditioning and deprogramming to do with how I'd been raised, not just by my family, but by the culture that surrounded me, which was very much to gaslight. And I can only speak from my own experience as a woman, but sort of to collectively gaslight you into thinking, oh, actually, I don't want to complain. Things weren't that bad because that person says that, that person in authority says that. And it took me a really long time to to challenge that and to think, no, actually, if I don't tell my story, somebody else might do it and they won't do a good enough job because they'll have a very partial experience of it. Yeah. And one of the things that Tara quotes and Educated, it's a quote from John Stuart Mill, which is that women have been coaxed, cajoled, shoved and squashed into a series of feminine contortions for so many centuries that it is now quite impossible to define their natural abilities or aspirations. I just thought that was so powerful and goes to the root of what we're discussing which is that these women by telling their stories and by having the courage to put their experience on the page are breaking out of that squash contortion that millennia of patriarchy have put us in (laughs) and it's a radical act and of course people are going to hate it because they're not used to it but actually that doesn't mean that you've done it wrong. And one of the things that I was so impressed by again with Tara is that when she came on my podcast, she talked about how difficult the estrangement from her family had been. But she talks about it without blame. She just said for her it had been very difficult, but simply because something felt like a loss did not mean it wasn't the right thing to do. Mm. And one of her three failures that I discovered on the day of recording was her failure to believe the same religion her parents did. She said, I tried so hard to have that belief and it would have made my life so much easier had I had it. Now that for me speaks of someone who is telling the truth because why would she like, why would she wish that to be the case? Whereas it sounds like the mother's response is extremely defensive. If you get to the stage as a parent where you're saying, well, I didn't know it was that bad for my child and they never told me they were being abused, that it's not a great defense because either way, there's a failure there because there's a failure mm-hmm. in that they haven't told you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so so I'm more inclined to believe Tara.
0: Yeah, I think this must have made me so mad because I think I've also struggled um, with being told in a multitude of ways from varying sources, it's not that bad. And mm. I think when you're a child, the truth from the authority figures around you is the truth. And that gets married with your current memory. And so let's say something horrible happened and you're retelling it. But you're retelling it with "it's not that bad," and when someone else then responds as like "I'm sorry, what the fuck did you just say?" <laughs> you know, yes. you are then put into this like, "What is my brain? What what is what like?" It it is the cruelest thing on accident, and I'm gonna say on accident that people do, which is that it strips you of your core ability to know and perceive the events around you, past, present, and future. Which I think is why, you know, statistically, like if there's abuse in the home, you are more likely to get into an abusive relationship because you see it as normal and not that mm-hmm. bad. Why would you stop it? Why would you see red flags? It's normal behavior. And so, I think when I went into Tara's book, I just found that thing that happens with families where they see things differently, but it doesn't make your experience not true. And some of these family members, I think, just don't want to acknowledge abuse. And so, I want to go to the biggest sort of thing that is referenced, which is that her brother Tyler left uh, an Amazon review on the Amazon book site. Oh my and God. And this review has been uh, the, the conversation underneath and around his review is so intense. And I also find it so interesting that he chose this medium to push back on. I'm just going to read some quotes from the Amazon review. (laughs) Okay. First, let me identify myself. I am Tyler Westover, brother number three in this book. Reading through other comments, it is clear that the book has become very controversial. A natural tendency when we encounter someone that we disagree strongly with is to attempt to dehumanize those individuals into foul monsters. We see this behavior regularly in politics as well as in arguments over lands and other natural resources. So he's coming at this from his very, like scientific um, mm-hmm. engineering brain, and he said, Tara wrote to me with the book and said, you know, did any of this not happen? Did I get things wrong? And he said, I'm going to quote the email I wrote back to her. I am not sure that I would recommend changing your text much, though, because my additions would also offer some complications. Usually in reports of scientific and engineering projects, we follow what is known as the 80-20 rule, which is that reports focus on key messages and points and deliberately leave out seemingly contradictory or excessively complicated information for general audiences, And he's saying like, I think you did well with the 80-20 rule. He said, as you mentioned, we have different memories and different perceptions of the same events. And then he says, our parents are extremists and they and other members of our family have done terrible things that have hurt Tara. There is no doubt there was abuse, neglect, and other awful choices. That to me is like, kind of like, yes, I see some things differently, but all of this is true. How did you, how do you hear that? And the, by oh, the way, I there's t- pages and pages more. So this is just wow. us pausing at, <laughs> the, at the
1: top. <laughs> How many stars did he give it?
0: Um, that is such a great question. So it is so buried that I had to find the screenshots on Reddit. Um, okay. And I, I don't fully remember, but I I honestly felt like it was four. <laughs>
1: Like okay. it it would, do you know what? It would be so savage if it was just a three-star review. That yeah. would be the worst. The worst. Like one star, five star, either way. Because <laughs> okay, the three-star average mediocre would be the worst. Um, oh, I thought there was going to be some terrible twist there where he suddenly just said the whole thing is a lie. So I'm relieved it didn't get to that point. I absolutely read that as supporting her narrative. Her narrative, and yeah. He's, he's absolutely... Right, that not only can you have different perceptions of something that happened within your own family, you can have different experiences of being parented by the same parents. If you are a different child, you, you by necessity, you're going to have a, a different experience of what that is from your particular vantage point. And they might very well be treating Tara differently because she's a different gender, because she's a different age, and he can't possibly, other members of the family can't possibly know what it is they can hazard a guess but they can't know what it is to be in that person's head so um yes three cheers for tyler i say yes
0: well there's more from tyler so here we go oh
1: here we go here's the twist (laughs) great storytelling chelsea i have to say (laughs) rex walls would be proud thank you rex (laughs)
0: so Then what I think is actually called into question is very specific incidents in the book that I actually took as just good writing. And in the good writing, uh, he was like, well, it didn't happen exactly like that, but let's go into it. So he says, as Tara describes, our father's very suspicious of the government. At one point, he told us, his children, that he was concerned someone from the government could come to our house and gunshots could be fired. Nothing, he said, however, led me to believe that this concern was connected with our homeschool. And specifically, there's a story in Tara's book that she's talking about how they can't go out, they can't go to school because the government will come and shoot you for your beliefs. And there is this story that, uh, it's this Charl- Charlton Heston's story of like this guy who it happened to and... Um, she says, my dad considered it more likely that such a task would have to be fulfilled by troops from the United Nations, not from the federal government. It should also be noted that the guns in question did not include high capacity semi. Okay. So as you can tell, we are getting into the weeds. Like, (laughs) I'm sorry, Tyler, what is going on here? And so for me, it's like, the truth is intact. Her dad told Mm -hmm. the children, you can't go to school. And we live in fear of the government coming and shooting us. And so we must get guns be- to protect our way of lives. It's all true. Now, the details of United Nations, other guns. Was it AK-47? It
1: doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> you've lost me. You've lost me. Yeah. And, and that way, And then his other one is, the other really big point of contention is he says, regarding higher education, many readers of the book have concluded that Tara attended formal higher education against apparently insurmountable odds. Perhaps it is not that surprising at all. Of the seven children in our family, six of them attended formal higher education classes. And in addition, three of them have gone on to get PhDs, which is true. Mm-hmm. And so this is maybe the only point that holds water of like, how did in a, a world where her family was against formal education whatsoever did three of them go on to earn PhDs within a single family uh, including Tara.
1: Well wasn't Tara the first was she the first one to do it there was was always an older brother who went to. Uh,
0: There was an older brother and I here's the thing like I I full again I fully see it they were all homeschooled she was able to go on to higher learning because of her older brothers showing the way to textbooks. (laughs) how to enroll, what it looks (laughs) like to leave the family. And that said in the book and in Tyler's article, uh, his article, his Amazon review, he said, my father made it clear that if I became a professional engineer, not only could I stamp our designs, but I could probably also be more flexible in the design to save additional costs and fabrication materials for the family business. And so the boys were encouraged to get higher education to come back home and support their lifestyle.
1: Whereas like Tara
0: said, she was not.
1: Uh, Yeah, exactly. And also... That's the whole point, isn't it? It's, there's education and there's education. There's education which is designed to keep the family business going and to keep the family narrative going of like, this is the unit, we're against the government, let's keep this going, let's keep perpetuating the story we tell ourselves. And then there's an education of ideas where you are questioning the beliefs that you've been taught. And that bit is the insurmountable odds bit that, that yes. Tara does. And it it also... this goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, like why more people have questioned the truth of Tara Westover's book than Jeanette Wall's. It's almost like there's this sense within her family that, oh, she thinks she's better than us. Yes. Because she's gone and got this fantasy education and she's written this book that Barack Obama chose in his best reading of that year. And, and, and there's, there's a hint of, um, jealousy there i think and potentially also in readers who read this and feel triggered in some way but don't have the emotional wherewithal or the processes that they need in order to understand their trigger points they it's easier to dismiss it as something that is untrue or someone who thinks she's better than us rather than looking inward and understanding what it has raised for you
0: yeah, that that is beautifully put. And and I think it I loved what you said about the insurmountable odds is not the getting of the education. It is the questioning of the beliefs that were put inside your body your entire yes. life. And how difficult it would be to undo those thoughts, to step away from your family, to see your parents for who they are. It's just so, so difficult to do that. And it wasn't a decision she wanted to make. And she had to. And I think what is so interesting is that Tyler goes on. He, he adds a note. He says, I have received some negative comments on the review above from people who think that I am trying to impose my experiences on Tara. It's not my attention, da, da da But in numerous places, Tara interprets for me and other members of my family things that we did, said, thought, and even felt. I cannot speak for the other members of my family. But in my case, I think in many instances, she greatly incorrectly conveyed my experiences. And he said, I do recognize that this is her memoir and she describes her experiences from her paradigm. However, it also seems reasonable for me to explain my perspective and outline the events that demonstrate the validity of my perspective in my review.
1: Yeah. And I I agree with him, but she sent him the manuscript. That's how he starts the review. So presumably he could have said, well, actually, I didn't feel like that. So could you change it? And And maybe he did and maybe she didn't. And he is absolutely completely entitled to his own version of events and... I look forward to reading his book. Like, if he wants to write a book, please have at it. And I think that that's a really good point. But ultimately, we all have to be given the space to tell our own stories.
0: Absolutely. And, and I, I actually found him at the top saying like, this is her story and to add my tiny contradictions takes away from it. And I don't think it's worth it. Um, and I, and what I hear down from the bottom and again, I'm bringing my own baggage to this is that I remember, and I won't go into details, but I, I, uh, thought our, uh, a stepdad that we had was just the worst person on earth. I thought he was so horrible. And, um, when, when we got free of it, I never, spoke to him ever again. And my older brother who, you know, also was raised by him. So he, he was our stepdad. He wasn't our biological father. And my older brother stayed in touch with my stepdad after the divorce. And he even once, you know, chauffeured our younger brother to see him. And there was a time in our lives when I just thought like, how, how, how could you do that? Like, (laughs) how? And he was, you know, he was just like, you know, I think everyone is like doing their best and I I don't want to hold hate in my heart. And and that is totally valid. And for him, the idea that it wasn't that bad was very real for him in that moment. And he had love to give that I did not have to give. However, I also think, uh, I also think his perspective now has changed because it's really hard to, walk through childhood events um, and mm. untangle what is, you know, what's going on. And that's what I read. And obviously why it made me so upset is like, you know, if if I was and am going to say in my own memoir that comes out in June <laughs> that this stepdad was read. bad and my older brother were to say like, I didn't find him that bad. It's actually both true. You know, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't find him that bad. That doesn't change the truth of the things that happened.
1: First of all, I'm so sorry for anything and everything that you experience and that happened to you. I can't wait to read your memoir. And secondly, I think that it shows such a level of emotional generosity and sophistication that you can extend that empathy to your brother and his response to it. And I and I think empathy is a really beautiful thing and, yeah. and a deeply radical act. So to give the empathy to a family member and to see him in that way is um, very generous and, and what Tara Westover's mother is possibly lacking.
0: I, I, tot- I totally agree and, and thank you so much. And, but, but really for me, it, is, it was more of like, how do you gauge the truth if someone has a different truth? And finding out how, how to do that, which I feel like Tara did. And she talks about moments in the book where some of my family members see this differently, but here's yeah. my experience. And here's my final twist for you, Elizabeth. Okay. There is another review, this one on Goodreads. And it is Stephanie, Tyler's wife, reviewing Why? the mom's book, educating. Now, we just heard from Tyler. By the way, there was much more from Tyler. He talks about how he once was given NyQuil by his father. He talks about how cops did arrive to the accident when a younger, unlicensed child was driving and crashed the van and everyone got injured. And he's like, Tara was wrong. Cops were there. Tara said, cops weren't there. And it's like, you know, I don't know if that matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if overall, that's the story, but okay. So he he negates a lot of things above. and then But this is Tyler's wife. One star review of the mom's book. <laughs> I am disappointed that Laurie chose to be dishonest and gaslight much of what her children endured. This might not have bothered me so much if she had just wanted to write her own story, but she worked so hard to discredit Tara by rewriting history. Of course, there are inconvenient details we all exclude when we tell our story. And I do believe that is fair in a memoir. By the way, Stephanie, yeah how do you how do you land on that like yeah you can't include every single time and date and fact like sometimes you got to be like you know we're moving on however when you dismiss whitewash or ignore your own mistakes while invalidating somebody else I get crabby (laughs) listen I love
1: stuff that is so cute (laughs) yes I love her
0: (laughs) as a mother I would also feel protective of a child like Travis who is the other another brother who made many mistakes in his youth what I do Not Comprehend is protecting that child at the expense of the victim. I happen to be Tyler's wife. I was a member of the family during many of the events described, and both educated and educating. Rather than drag out details of my family events, I will just say that I was physically present in the room when Travis treated his girlfriends in despicable ways. Laurie had a pathological way of excusing his behaviors and calling him her Robin Hood, and the one who takes in the girls with broken wings. I confess I only read part of Laurie's book because... The parts I did read were so disturbing and dishonest, I needed to set it aside to maintain my own sanity. And she goes on saying she hesitated to write a review, but she needed to speak the truth. And she said, I would hope those who have experience with dysfunctional families and abuse will see the truth.
1: Wow. I mean, what uh, an incredibly powerful example you've just given us, Chelsea, of there being multiple different perspectives in one family.
0: Yeah. That's and, so yeah.
1: interesting. And it's like
0: the brother who called into question, the wife is like, you know, she and, and she's not refuting his experiences either. She's talking about yeah. the mom. It, it's, it's so fascinating. And I think mostly I just, I really wanted to do this episode because I think it's such a fascinating topic that goes hand in hand with believing women, which is interesting because of course there are minority groups in anything that misuse therapy terms misuse um you know a a movement where you believe all women of course that exists but overall I think if you're gonna push a narrative that that's not true you better be fucking right and I think to go through all the internet and sift through all of this um I've I feel like it's pretty easy to come to the conclusion that as a whole, like this is a gorgeous book that whose truth is intact and the ways that memories differ and thing and abuse is very different within families is also something we can like uphold and respect at the same time. That's my view of it. But you tell me what what you have come to.
1: I completely agree with you, which makes for a boring end to this podcast. <laughs> though, but I, I totally agree with everything you said. And I think I would just add that... For me as a reader, emotional truth is always more important than factual truth. That's just who Mm -hmm. I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not a scientific engineering genius. Sorry, Tyler. Um, And I am someone who just values the, the creative truth that lies behind it. And a lot of the time when we process trauma, the way that trauma is processed means that you don't have a clear grasp of when exactly things happened. You don't have a clear sequencing of events, but you can absolutely viscerally remember the feeling and the experience of said events. And so I actually think from everything that you have researched and told me that Tara Westover did a great job with her sequencing of events. But if there is an element here or there that is out of place, it can also not only be a result of memory being imperfect, but the fact that processing trauma leads us to recall things out of sequence. And ultimately, for me, it just... Is one of the best memoirs I've read in the last decade. I think yeah. it's a, a brilliant, brilliant book. Also, because of the bigger ideas it explores beyond this toxic seeming family dynamic, and I, it was a joy to return to it for this conversation.
0: Thank you so much for being a part of this. And also, I, you know, I, while I know uh, com- comparison and. Uh, Episodes aren't, you know, wasn't my intention, but I, I feel like the Glass Castle really illuminates a lot of this conversation. And again, going back to it coming out in 2005, and how much our capacity as a society has expanded its tolerance and and desire for nuanced stories from women has come so far. In part because of Jeanette's book and books like that that keep pushing us to be ready to hear the truth and. I just wanna end the podcast actually with a, a quote from Jeanette about writing her book that I think speaks to all of this. She said, for so long, I just felt trapped in this. Nobody will understand. It's kind of shameful. And then when one person tells a story, it opens up other people to tell stories. And that to me is why we tell our stories. It's for those emotional connections, so we're not alone. There are so many people that come up to me and say, the details of our lives are different, but you and I have a lot in common. One of the people who came up to me after a screening, she looked so fabulous. She was all Neiman Marcus Dow, and she had a lot of diamonds on her hands. And she goes, girlfriend, you and I could be sisters. And you know that's what it's about. It's about these bonds, these emotional bonds. And I just feel like that's all of us holding hands.
1: (laughs) That just gave me chills. That is it, Mm. isn't it? We tell stories to be understood and to understand each other. And I've, oh my gosh, can I come back every week? I have loved talking about books with you. When your book is
0: out, (laughs) please come back. I want to talk to you about everything. And um, Elizabeth, tell everyone where they can find you and follow you and check back for book updates
1: okay so you can follow me on instagram it's at eliza B Day. so e-l-i-z-a-b-d-a-y um i'm also that on twitter x but who wants to go on there anymore so it's basically instagram (laughs) and you can listen to how to fail with elizabeth day wherever you get your podcasts and i
0: highly recommend the tara episode which we will link in the show notes thank you so much for being here and hopefully i'll see you soon on another episode
1: see you soon thank you for having me
0: That's all for this week's episode. If you have something to say, you want to talk back to this episode or you have a question or maybe you think you have a difference of opinion, join the book club. The book club is on Patreon. We have a chat and there are so many cookies in the chat. We talk about the episodes. We talk about book recommendations. We just talk about our lives. We break things down. It's super fun. It's on Patreon. You can join for as little as $1 or $5 a month and then just download the mobile app and you can chat all day long with us. Also, if you join Patreon, all the episodes are ad-free. So we started running ads. If you don't like that, join our Patreon. We send you a podcast feed with ad-free episodes and everyone comes to your phone. You would also get all of the bonus episodes and there are so many great bonus episodes. You get all of that when you join our Patreon. And if you're a super hardcore, cookie we have a live book club on zoom once a month It's on Sundays It's so fun Sometimes we dress up We chat about the episodes No reading is required If you want to read along It's so fun But also Most people just listen To the episode And then we chat And hang out And check in And a lot of really Deep friendships have formed It's the best A big thank you To our podcast producer Kate Downey Our executive producer Jordan Moncada Our sound engineer Marcus Hom And our amazing assistant Jaren Padre I also want to thank Our friends over at Pattern Brands They are our our product partner and they keep me and my guests just rolling in the cutest tiny spoons and candles and so many other cool things and paquetto i genuinely love our product partners i love them so much so go check them out everything is linked in the show notes and if you have questions go to the patreon chat lounge and i'll see you there